Today on IFS Talks, we are lucky enough to be speaking with Paul Ginter. Paul is a licensed psychologist who serves as the clinical director for the IFS Telehealth Collective. Paul has more than 30 years of experience with the internal family systems model. Working closely with Richard Schwartz, Paul has been an IFS senior lead trainer for over 15 years. He has traveled the globe training professionals on nearly every continent, including Bali and more recently China. Paul also facilitates mindfulness meditation courses for businesses, conferences, and clinical groups. Based in Kalamazoo, Michigan, Paul is the co-founder of the Center for Psychotherapy and Wellness, and he previously served as the organizational learning officer at Fetzer Institute, a philanthropic privately operated foundation. Paul, we're so happy to have you here with us today on IFS Talks. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much, Paul, for willing to sit with us. And how is it for you, Paul, to hear this bio? What parts come up? When I listen to the bio, I just I, I I mostly feel grateful for having uh, so many opportunities with IFS work. I you know it's been such a big part of my life, and I was fortunate to to begin. Um, with this work uh, fairly early. Um, uh, it had been happening for a few years, but I was relatively on the, the beginning end of this. So, and I've just been able to do, uh, to get to do so many cool things in, <laughs> um, you know, so much travel and getting to know amazing people and getting to share this work with so many people. Um, so that's the biggest thing is I I think I just feel really very fortunate. I was thinking about this uh, the last couple of days, and and one of the things that I I kind of laugh about is um, years years and years ago, I was, uh, I had a, it wasn't so much into astrology, but I had a astrological reading with somebody, and and, uh, I was in my, maybe my mid-20s or so, and a little bit maybe late 20s and this person said oh i think you're going to you're going to teach and i think you're going to teach in europe and and it was so laughable to me because i had this huge public speaking fear and i would i i thought man this is the last thing i want to do is to teach at all let alone teach in in europe and um and it turns out with ifs i've gotten to gotten to do that and um yeah. So I, anyway, so I'm, I'm also like a bit surprised when I look back or listen to my bio that I've been able to, to do this in so many places around the world. So, yeah. Did you know that you would be a therapist growing up? Was there something that determined this path for you? Yeah. You know, I I didn't necessarily um, early on. I think it was in college that I began to think that would be a pretty pretty great thing to do. Went to a small college, and the guy that was the psychologist there seemed like a really cool person, and so I thought I I, I would love to do that. And I I had since high school been exposed to a psychology class and. 
and and began to know that I was always really interested in the way humans worked and and just have found found this all kind of fascinating in a way. So in that sense, um, it I you know I haven't been one of those mid-career changers or something. I've I've um, been pretty pretty much in this moving in this direction since college. Yeah. But Paul, you met Dick right back at the start in Chicago, right? Yeah, pr pretty early. I mean, I think he had he had been going for a couple of years at that time, or or maybe several. But um, but yeah, it was pretty early. And How were those days? Yeah, it was. Um, it was actually a really exciting time. I had been working at a. Just to give a little bit of that background, I had been working at a university in Tennessee, and and um, it turned out that my uh, a woman that I had been engaged to at some point, uh, we, uh, she contacted me and said, "Oh, there's this amazing work with this guy, Richard Schwartz, and and um, it's going to be this really great fit for you." And uh, so I began to read some of his work and. And then contacted him to see if he might come down to this university and do a training, and and he was willing to do that. And um, he wasn't nearly as busy back then as he is these days. And uh, so I got to begin to get to know him. And and then um, at some point, a couple of years later, after traveling up to Chicago pretty regularly for a couple of years, I thought, you know, I just want to be closer to this. So I moved up to Chicago to be to be closer and worked at a at a uh, uh, facility for court ordered adolescents that Dick was the the clinical supervisor for or consultant and so the all the treatment was based on his uh, on the IFS model so that was a great way to be thrown into you know doing more of the work and um, was also involved with writing a manual um, that he was doing for rehabilitation workers back then uh, using IFS. So, um, and and it was a it was just a really exciting time to be involved because it felt like there were new things happening all the time. And I remember actually um, uh, we were having dinner with um, with Dick and his wife at the time and. And I remember him saying, oh, I've come up with these, these eight C's. Uh, <laughs> Amazing. And uh, uh, what do you think they are? <laughs> I'm not very good at those things. So uh, it was actually my wife that was, uh, um, I think my fiance, another fiance at that time that, that said, oh, she started to name off those qualities. And anyway, but, you know, to hear those for the first time, um, or to hear about, oh, there's this thing we're doing now, which is unburdening. Or, um, And then there would be sometimes when I would find myself doing something and then talk to Dick and he'd say, oh, yeah, we're, other people have begun to do that as well. So, yeah, so it was a really, it was an exciting time. You know, I think that there's continues to be that people are really open to learning and growing with the model and but it does feel like some of that's a bit more subtle now that there's a there's this kind of solid base for IFS that's there 
and uh, and so you know back then it felt a little bit like oh that's wow that's an amazing new development in the model um, yeah so it was I, again very fortunate feel very fortunate to be around at that time to to get to experience that. Did you bump into any resistance around the model? You know, I, one thing is, I, I, I have to say, I, I have this huge um, appreciation and respect for Dick because he was out on the front lines. And you know, like, like I said before, I wasn't one to be doing a lot of teaching back there. So, um, so I don't think I came face to face with as much of the, the resistance um, uh, as, as maybe, well, certainly as he did, and maybe others as well. Um, but I, but I think, you know, it's different. It is different now in that there's a, you know, there's such a wave of enthusiasm for IFS. And I, I do feel the difference in that. There's almost like just this given that, well, of course, we uh, have many different personalities inside there. And, and at the time, some of those ideas were, were newer. But I don't remember so much having a lot of resistance, um, maybe because I... I think I always have alive in me a skeptic that that could also, um, you know, lean. If I was talking to somebody, I might be able to really acknowledge that. Oh, yeah, it might seem a little weird that I talk like this, and I think sometimes some of that resistance wouldn't wouldn't be there. Um, yeah, so. Paul, and back then, uh, I've heard that one of your expertises is or was um, mindfulness meditation. Was it already back then when you met Dick? Were you already fond of mindful-based approaches? Yeah, I, I had had a, a fairly long, um, well, at that time it wasn't that long, but, you know, for um, a good probably close to 10 years had been doing a lot of mindfulness meditation. And I had uh, come in contact with um, the mindfulness based stress reduction program uh, that John Kabat-Zinn was leading. And, and uh, at the time when I was in Chicago, I eventually moved from working with those adolescents to, I went to a place that um, this amazing place working with cancer patients and their families and so began to do the mindfulness work with mm, them very useful yes mm -hmm. uh, yeah so so that was you know always something and it continues to be something that i think is really compatible with ifs um so again that yeah it's nice to to have that as an added um uh tool in some ways for people um, but but again, I think that they're, for the most part, quite quite compatible. So, uh, 
Paul, am I understanding that the first model you practiced as a therapist, it was IFS or you learned many others before? Yeah, well, you know, my graduate training um, was a, a bit of a, it was a psychodynamic okay. perspective, but to be honest, I never really fully embraced that. Mm -hmm. You know, I think in some ways I was more, um, I was more Rogerian in some oh, ways, but, but it also when IFS, uh, when I began to read about IFS, there was something there, there was something about it that felt quite natural. And, um, and it was, um, it was certainly much more uh, effective than anything I had been doing, but it also felt like it was um, familiar to me. Like uh, I had been doing some bits of other things, you know, back then people were doing uh, inner child, inner child kind of visualizations or meditations with people. And, um, and I was doing some of that. And um, there was an aspect of, um, you know, some other kinds of work that looked very similar to what IFS was. Um, again, I think IFS was this, well, to me at the time, well, it continues to be, to be quite honest, just an amazing, amazingly powerful uh, way of doing the work. Um, but yeah, it, but it did feel pretty consistent with the way I saw the world and, and in some ways, some of the way that I was working already. I'd like to ask you about your journey to uh, becoming a lead trainer. And within that, I have a question about how you worked with your parts that were uh, fearful around public speaking. Mm -hmm. If that was a gradual process or if it was a big unburdening all at once. Uh -huh. how, did that, how did that happen for you? Yeah. Well, I, one of the things I, I sometimes say with a bit of um, uh, laugh is, or, or humor is that I, I actually never have taken a level one training because, uh, because I was in, in it early enough that I, uh, at some point, Dick was wanting to offer trainings. And so um, there were uh, four of us at the time that he ended up saying, you know, would you want to help with a training? And so, uh, yeah, so I, I jumped into that, uh, and, and that was not at all a very, um, front and center kind of role. It was like a PA position, the program assistant kind of thing. And, and, uh, so that didn't challenge my public speaking fears so much, um, uh, but, and then, and then I was actually at some point I moved to Michigan and was a little bit disconnected from IFS, not, not totally, but I was, I took a job with a foundation that just was a very interesting place to work. And eventually, or a couple of years later was really missing IFS. And so came back and began to jump back into training trainings. Um, so, but yeah, you know, the, the, the shift for me, public speaking wise is, um, has been both, I've had some big unburdening moments where there's some pretty profound healing that happened. I, I tend, I have this five or six year old in me that I think, uh, um, 
you know, to this day, I feel um, quite a connection with. He's a sweet little boy in there who, who um, uh, it had some things happen in my family at that age that were pretty that were pretty big, and and at some point learned um, this boy learned that it really isn't safe to speak up, and uh, you know, people could be hurt, <laughs> and um, yeah, so. Um, and and so I have done some a lot of work with him actually, and I think that's been a big part of the shift for me. Um, it's also just doing it, you know. Like I mean, there's a, there's just kind of a behavioral part of just yeah. doing it over and over again, and and it becomes more and more comfortable. And but to this day, you know, I, I you know if it's a big enough group, you know, like. Uh, I have to speak at the conference or, and you can hear my words, have to speak at the conference, <laughs> um, uh, like in front of the big group, you know, that, that I definitely will have those parts come up and get, and get scared. Um, so, you know, I'm still working on that, but, but I am again, just, I have to, I can't tell you how grateful I am to, um, to be able to for, go into trainings, you know, with, 50 people yeah. or, or even China training where there's 250 people wow. there and, uh, uh, and to feel really comfortable is, um, you know, really both an amazing, it's, well, it's kind of mind blowing to me. Like I'll, I'll catch myself and just say, wow, like I, I just, again, I feel grateful for, for that. And almost always, really make it a point to thank those parts of me that have been scared in the past for, I don't know what, trusting me, I guess, is kind of the, maybe the way to say it. But um, yeah, so um, yeah, so it's, it's you know, um, I don't know if either of you two have ever had any of that public speaking fear, but it's a, you know, it's a pretty tough thing, you know, and remember my history of sometimes not taking jobs, because I knew that you know, I don't know if I want to be this like tennis coach at a school because I'll have to speak at the conference at the or at the at the um, thing at the end of the year. And anyway, so it's it's nice to have um, made a shift with that. Yeah, thank you. I I my uh, public speaking fear has sort of bordered on phobia, really, at times. And and I know you know many of our listeners uh, have parts too that that hold fear, shame. Um, ah, sure. exiles around public speaking so I'm so glad you spoke to that thank you it's the same here Paul do you want to share more about these amazing experiences in China you said large large groups of 200 participants that is can be scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that, that was a, I have to say that was a, um, that's been an amazing thing for me. Um, the, the China experience what uh, on a, you know, both, um, because I think they're doing some really remarkable work there. Um, I could say a little bit about that. Cause I, I do think it's interesting. Please. Um, yeah, they, they, um, 
there's this organization um, that's led by a, a woman named Hailan. Some people call her either the Oprah or the Dr. Phil of China. And she has this organization that basically um, has uh, offered um, what, what I think are at the cutting, it's at the cutting edge of um, psych, human psychology and spirituality and, and has really um, have had, she's, they've created this system and, it, and it's very much peer oriented. You know, they don't really have psychologists so much in a place like China, but, but they, but they took on, well, the first of all, I don't know if this is first, but they began to do like um, mindful self-compassion work. And they had the very best people in the world, Chris Germer and Kristen Neff go to China and work with people and, um, and, and really quite committed to that work where I don't know the details exactly, but if you're part of this, at this point, maybe, I don't know if they have 1200 people involved with this group that meet regularly, but everyone's expected to do an hour a day of mindfulness meditation for, you know, for several years kind of thing. And then Hailan became um, very interested in, uh, in IFS and began to connect with Dick and Dick went over there to teach. Um, and then he did, uh, well, there were, well, he did the first part and then I would, I came in later and did, did a training to kind of the, almost like the second half of a level one training in some ways. And uh, yeah. And, and it's, it's just remarkable what they're doing. Uh, they, again, they have this, like these webs of support and these groups that, that uh, so there is a kind of safety that's created in, in the, within this organization. And, you know, there was some question about whether it would even make sense to go to some of the deeper places with IFS, like to exiles, for example, when people aren't really trained as clinicians there. Um, but I do think that they've, you know, all the work that they've done, really, there is a kind of safety. And my experience there um, is that people go very, very deep with the model. <laughs> And and there's just also this uh, this, um, this amazing commitment that they have. Uh, one of the kind of funny stories about this is that there were some people that couldn't make it to Dick's training, and they said, "Well, could they come to yours? We have a bunch of ways to catch them up to where uh, others um, are." And so they said, "You know, they'll they have to watch several videos of Dick doing work." Um, they have to uh, meet with groups of people and so forth. And, and one of the requirements was that they were to read Dick Schwartz's uh, intro to IFS book 10 times. They had to read, uh -huh. they had to read the book 10 times. And amazing, um, which I just think is um, sounds a little crazy for most of us uh, in our country. And I don't know for you, it's in a different culture, Portugal, but yeah. um, uh, anyway, but I really you know, it's like there's this amazing commitment to really deeply learning. And I, part of my experience was going over there was that people had really learned the, like the left brain part of all of this so well yeah. mm -hmm. that then they could just be present. And 
Um, and I think and it was remarkable how deep uh, people have gone. And then, you know, just then I got to go back because they wanted a big focus on cultural burdens and legacy burdens um, after the basic training. And that was amazing to have people talk about, um, you know, some of those, um, yeah, some of those cultural burdens and how much they're shared among people. And mm -hmm. yeah, so very deep and rich. And there's just um, Hylon and there's a woman, Joy, who's uh, who's kind of the uh, her top person there. And they're just remarkable people. And they know the model really well. Um, and yeah, so there 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 have been conversations about how how might we create peer groups like that in the states, and I, I think it's huge ones. You know, people are thinking about it. It's a little bit of a challenge because I think we just operate so differently than than they do there. But um, but it's 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 exciting. I can hear your enthusiasm. What what does it feel like for you to be there? It's it's I imagine pretty different. What comes up in you? Yeah. Well, you know, for one, I I'm not sure what it is. I uh, they as a group were incredibly. Um, there's just a lot of hospitality that's extended by the people there. Um, I don't know. It feels a little funny to say this, but it, <laughs> but the, it, you know, in some ways, I think their culture they tend to hold up teachers in a particular way. So, th so that's an odd experience in some ways because there's a bit of a you know a once in a lifetime thing for me to to feel a little bit like oh that's a little bit like a rock star gets to <laughs> experience that because they you know they just they so embrace people that show up. Um, and so it sounds like you were really welcomed. Absolutely welcomed. Yeah. And I and again, I think it was partly that that kind of energy that I, I just I didn't feel anxious. You know, I didn't feel um well, mm -hmm. didn't feel public speaking fear, even though there were yeah. whatever, 250 people there. Well, um and uh you know, it's just really remarkable. Um experience to go there and now we've done i was supposed to go back there this last november but it was you know we did the online thing um yeah so anyway i feel i again very grateful to be connected with with them paul do you see any major barriers language barriers or cultural barriers to prevent them from learning the model the, the right way if there is a right way to learn the model and to practice the model? I, you know, that's such a great question. I, I don't, I, I, I felt, um, I was surprised that it didn't seem like there were a lot of barriers. You know, I don't, the thing is, I, how do I know? Because <laughs> I'm, I can't understand Chinese, yeah, like at all. Yeah. You know, I, there's a couple of words that I would begin to pick up. Uh, but, but basically I don't. And so you're so trusting. Yeah. Um, yes. But I have to say, I, I actually had, I had less concern about that 
than in some other other international trainings. And I think one of the differences is that the the main translators, Hylan and Joy, they really deeply know the model. And so I, and I knew that they knew the model. And I think there have been um, a few international trainings that, that were a little rockier because the translator didn't know the model. Mm-hmm. And so you could you could begin to hear that, oh, or maybe hear from participants that, oh, the thing that I said, the, the, the ones that speak English, uh, wasn't the subtlety was missed in the interpretation. And I didn't I didn't feel any of that in the in the China or haven't felt any of that in the China training. Well, we could eventually raise this same question when it comes to trainings online. We can also wonder how much the model is really well trained and passed on in these new modalities online. How was it for you? You already uh, led some trainings online since the pandemic. Yes. Um You know, it's been a mix. I, you know, there have been times, uh, you've probably heard this from other trainers, times when it's been surprising how well it's gone online. And um, to use IFS terms, I, I have been incredibly surprised to feel this thing happening in in demo sessions um, online and even in China feel like, wow, I just felt this same thing happen online that I feel in my office or in a group of, in a group of uh, people all together in the same place where in IFS terms, we would say there's this self energy that's present and it's palpable. Like, you know, so here I am talking to somebody that's, a half a world away and you could feel this shift happening between us, you know, and then you could even feel it as participants begin to give feedback into the big group. Um, so I've been, um, you know, just almost I, shocked isn't quite the word, but like really taken aback and surprised by how much that can happen and then, um, and then there are these moments that I just I feel this loss of um, just wanting to feel people's yeah, presence. Yeah. And I think in the trainings, the you know the thing that many of us the trainers have talked about with this is that you you miss a lot of the informal moments of you know somebody says something in the big group, and you know you're going to get snacks or going to lunch or going to the bathroom, and you you bump up against somebody yeah. and you can that's the magic you, know, you can feel the presence and they can feel yours and you can say oh you know i was really interested in the fact that you mentioned this and i was touched by that or or whatever and um and i i miss that you know i miss that kind of connection that that i think happens that you know i mean we still we still hear from people that 
the trainings, you know, you'll still hear people say things like, wow, this training has been the most powerful thing I've ever done. And, you know, I, I feel transformed or I feel more connected to a group of people than I've ever felt before. So, you know, you still, you still hear those things, but it feels like, um, you know, it just feels a little less strong, that kind of, that kind of thing. Yeah. Looks like you are looking forward, longing for coming back to traveling and yeah, and yeah. do in-person trainings. Yes, yeah. With that in mind, what's next on the horizon for you, Paul, personally and professionally? You know, I, I uh, at this point, I'm I have a lot of trainings lined up, and um, I am looking forward to to being in person. I, I think it's still a question about how that's all going to look. I, it sounds as though at least some of us have guessed that maybe, maybe part of trainings will still be online and part of them will be in person. Again, I haven't much heard about that. Um, you know, there are some benefits about, you know, less travel and, you know, less impact on the environment from being on planes and so forth. So, you know, I think there's um, less cost involved. So I, I think there's some reasons to still do some online work, but but I am looking forward to to seeing people's faces and connecting with people in person. Um, yeah, so I don't. Um, aside from just the things I have set up, I'm I'm not one of these people that has some big vision for myself. I I just have never really operated that way. Um, I am involved with the. You mentioned this in the very beginning. Uh, uh, we have a group practice that um, I'm excited about. That's uh, it's called the IFS Telehealth Collective, and and it, you know it's it's um, with IFS exploding. I think one of the challenges, just personally for me, is is um, not having space, you know, for people to to see new clients, and then beginning to 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 run out of people to refer to, you know. Um, and so we're creating a practice that that is going to be really just for people that want to have IFS, and it's a tele, telehealth practice. But um, you know, we're going to have uh, still in the middle of hiring people and 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 having a staff of clinicians that are IFS trained and solid with the model. And, so much needed. Yes. And so that that's just going to be nice to have a place to say, oh, here, if you're looking for IFS therapy, here's a here's one place that you can count on skilled people to beautiful do that so important is there a website that will direct people there there will be um there will be okay it's, it's probably in the next maybe three weeks or so i'm guessing the website will be up um, oh good yeah, yeah if you if you share it with us we can put it on our oh, great. Um, session notes and okay listening. great great I have heard your son is a filmmaker and your daughter a dancer. I guess it needs courage to let our children to pick on hearts as a profession. Yeah. What's your tip or recommendation to become such a happy father? Oh, gosh. Again, I just feel so grateful for, for that. I mean, 
you know, I, I just, um, I think it's hard for kids to know what they want to do in the world. You know, I mean, for so many, it's a bit of a struggle, or maybe they go through three different careers before they know what they really want to do. And, and uh, for some reason, uh, our kids have just landed where they, you know, they just have this amazing passion for what they do. And, and so um, it's a joy. Uh, you know, I, it's hard, it's a hard world to make it. So um, I mean, I remember a year, some years ago with our son, especially that, you know, there was a way that I kind of think, well, you know, maybe you should have a backup if the film thing doesn't work out for you. And, uh, and I, some years ago, I just think we just said, no, you know, this is your thing and you're going to, you'll figure it out. And, um, and so I do trust that he will, but, but again, you know, the people say, well, you know, are you and your, your wife or partner or whatever, um, are, are you artistic? And, um, we kind of laugh and say, you know, not, not so much, but, um, but for some reason our kids have landed, um, and, and really just love what they do. Our daughter, uh, you know, she's a dancer at NYU and, um, and I just have sometimes made the comment that I don't ever remember her in all in all the years from the time she was five or something. Um, I don't ever remember her saying, "Oh, I don't want to go to practice." You know, I don't want to go uh, dance. And you know, she just loves it. And so, when you, boy, when you find what you love, um, it's just it's great to run with that. Well, it sounds like they have a really good model. Yeah. Seems like you're doing what you love as well. Yeah, yeah. That no, that is true. And and again, it's it's true for all of us in our family. Um, we've gotten to do really again to get get to do what we love, and uh, and so yeah, it's been it's been a really good thing. Very fortunate. You are also known in our community for this beautiful decision tree, well, for the unblending process. One focuses on anxiety and another one focuses on depression. What was your idea doing such a beautiful document? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I, yeah, I have, have one that uh, is, is kind of more toward unblending and right. The, the client, the example of a client is a six-year-old anxious uh, uh, girl. Um, or, or it's a person who's carrying anxiety and shows up as a, as a girl. And, and then there's another one that's on, um, unburdening. So, yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've been glad that for some people that's, that's, uh, that visual of the decision tree is, mm -hmm. has been helpful to some people. So valuable one. Yeah. So, Paul, thank you so much for having us. It was a joy to be here with you and Tisha. And we hope that we can keep meeting and sharing this model, our work and our lives, and wishing you happy holidays. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, I just want to say that I think both of you are just really 
really lovely people and you do such a nice job with this having listened to many of your other interviews i um you know i think it's a gift to the ifs community and you you do it so skillfully so um well, thank you so much anyway so thank you for having me here thank you so much for all that you contribute and for giving us your time yeah and happy holidays to you and your family uh, happy holidays too